So, Rebecca, I have an email from a patron, and she is asking about something that I think you would have some wisdom on. What, what do you say we talk about that today? Okay, should I get my sound effects ready? Like what? Like, like, uh, like, like gasping and... Uh, like, Yeah, <laughs> boo, or, <gasps> you know, that kind of stuff. Yes, please get all those all those sound effects ready. This is the Psychology okay. in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Rebecca? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bloom. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a board-certified art therapist here in Seattle, Washington. And this is from uh, an anonymous patron. I have a question for you about boundaries. Mm. Things are going well with my therapist. I see him twice a week for an hour. Usually, if he doesn't have anyone for me, he extends if he doesn't have anyone after me, he extends the session for however long he can. And sometimes he even schedules me for spots where there is no one after me so we can extend the session. Do you want to have a, a, a reaction, uh, uh, just a, um, a sound effect reaction? To that? It's like, I know people who do this, but I'm not a big fan of it. Oh, okay. I thought I thought there would be more aghastness, but okay. Okay. But, you know, that's that's good. Um, <laughs> the, uh, going on with the email, there have also been a few occasions where I go in and we get into something. And then at the end of the hour, he offers me to come back later that day for another, oh, yeah. for another appointment time. OK, now I'm like, meh. <laughs> that's not a good sound. <laughs> meh. Meh. <laughs> um, upset cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Upset cat sound. However, he does not bill for the, this extra time. Oh, yeah, no. Double meh. Meh. He only bills for the regular two sessions per week. I had therapy today, which was my second session of the week, and it lasted an hour and 45 minutes. He asked if I wanted to come in tomorrow for a third session this week. I said yes, and he said, okay, how about you buy me a cup of coffee from the place around the mm, corner before you, before you come? <laughs> Triple meh. Meh. Um, she says, I was confused. He said he didn't want to bill my insurance for more than three sessions per week because he was concerned it wouldn't be authorized. Mm -hmm. So he was asking me to pick him up a cup of coffee as a favor for, for providing a free session. It seemed a little weird. I wonder if he would feel comfortable asking his other clients to pick him up coffee. I know this seems like a simple, harmless task, which it is, but our session today was oddly focused on how I easily how, how easily I get taken advantage of and have some trouble asserting myself. And how Meh. I Yeah. And how I believe people have power over me. I mm. wonder if this could be a test from him to, oh boy. to see how I would react in the real world. Not sure about that. Just wanted to see your opinion if this is crossing a boundary. I'm so thankful and grateful for all the effort and time he puts into me and how he doesn't mm. give up on me. So I don't want to fuck it up. But I also don't want to feel stupid by getting him coffee. So is this crossing a boundary to so is it is it crossing a boundary to ask a client to do you a favor? If so, how should I approach this issue? Rebecca, what do you think? It is crossing a boundary for your therapist to ask you to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> um, you know, there's also been pushing in the lines in a lot of ways where I could see how the patron is, you know, feels indebted to the therapist for their 
free service, which is never good. Um, because actually one of the things you want to be allowed to do is to get mad at your therapist. So how could you possibly get mad at this therapist who's giving you all this, quote, free service, which now isn't free because it comes with this cup of coffee. Um, but there's a sense of, like, indebtedness that makes me kind of grossed out at this point. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that. But, of course, that's a major point here is that if the therapeutic relationship is to be fully free to provide as many healing options for the client, the client needs to be able to express anger or express displeasure or whatever. And uh, when, especially given this client's issues of, of issues with assertiveness, right? And, uh, and now she's in a position where if she starts to develop anger and other kinds of negative feelings towards him, she has an incentive to stuff those feelings because she doesn't want to lose out on extra time with him. Because clearly he's not doing this with all of his clients. He's only doing this with her or just a, a small set of clients that he has chosen for whatever criteria he has, which is probably related to like how much he likes working with them, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so she won't necessarily, so she'll have a reason to stuff her feelings. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about like the parentified, not the parentified child, but like the debted child who's now like, oh, I can't get mad at my parents because X, Y, Z. So, you know, I'm sure there are parallel relationships kind of playing out. And God knows what the therapist issues are playing out. Like, I'm so helpful. Only I can help this person. You know, I don't know what's going on there, but. Right. It's no good. Uh, yeah, I want to get into that in a second. So I, I emailed her back and I said that, yeah, it was weird. Uh, I, I've never asked a client to pick me up coffee or anything like, even remotely akin to that. I wouldn't even have an impulse to ask a client. I mean, get your own coffee. I, I, <laughs> you, know, what, you know what I mean? It's such a weird request, you know? Um, yeah, and it is a boundary crossing because it's asking for a favor. It's turning your client into like a pal or a coworker or something. And and so, uh, but in my email back to her, I was like, well, it, you know, it's not like he's asking to have sex with you or something. It, it's it's a crossing, but it's not like massively egregious. But I, I I told her in the email, I said, well, it sounds like you feel uncomfortable about it and it's totally in line with your therapy and you totally have the right to tell him everything you just told me. And so that's what she did. And she wrote back and she said, thanks. Yeah, I had a I had a feeling it was weird. So I brought the coffee today, but I told him I thought it was a little weird and it made me anxious and it made me question whether it was a test of my assertiveness. I think he realized that it was a little strange of him to ask me to get him coffee. I also brought up two other things he had done that made me feel uneasy and he sincerely apologized and said he would work on it. He said he was happy I brought those things up. Any thoughts on that, Rebecca? Um, you know, where's this guy getting supervision? I mean, it really makes me wonder, like, is he using a technique that he needs to get hours in? And like this client does that technique really well or something like what's going on here? Um, you know, and, and, um, if he says he's going to work on it, like, what does that mean? Like, you know, oh, wow, I realize I'm really out of bounds and I'm going to get some supervision here or, 
is it the client's job to then alert him every time he does something freaky? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. it just doesn't seem proactive enough. Right. But it is in the right direction, right? I mean, I, I, I've certainly seen – I mean, I, I'm going to slam him in a second similarly <laughs> to you. But, but I will give him definite props for apologizing and taking responsibility yes. and not deflecting or making an excuse or getting upset. I've – fielded many emails. I've become, as I said in other episodes, sort of a lightning rod for these these stories about these therapists and uh, a very calm. And I was worried that when she brought it up with him, he was going to get defensive and it was going to be, you know, begin the downfall of their therapeutic relationship. But he apologized. And that's to me, 60 to 70 percent of it is right there. It's just like, oh, my God, you're right. I'm sorry to have put you in that position and you know what, I'm going to look at that. And you're wondering, well, what does that exactly mean? And we don't really know, but so, so here's my speculation on the situation. I think it's pretty clear. He cares about her, right? Uh, any, anytime you are giving extra time to a client, particularly the way in which this relationship sounds, I mean, it sounds like she's really coming to him and the relationship is strong and she really wants his help. And she, it's probably, you know, appreciative of that. And so he he probably really cares about her in, in all likelihood, uh, particularly since when she pushed back, he's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so it indicates he cares and he's probably doing good work with her. And they're, you know, they're building a, a strong relationship that is probably helping her. And he is experiencing significant countertransference about yeah. s- about saving her and about not potentially this is total speculation but i think he's also experienced so not only does he have countertransference about saving her like he had someone in his you know childhood that he needed to take care of that was very difficult to take care of or something so there's that countertransference but i'm also guessing that he doesn't feel good enough for her there's there's something about him oh he has to give a lot of sessions yeah like he feels like he feels he feels guilty or insufficient with only two sessions a week, which I have to say is a shit ton of therapy. It's a lot. Of, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I, I only have people come with that when they're in extreme crisis. Right. Yeah, me too. Occasionally, I've had a client who, uh, like, we're talking one out of every 2,000 clients or something where I'll be like, you know what? Well, they'll ask for more than one session a week and I'll determine, you know what? Actually, it might work in this situation. But it's very rare for me to see people more than more than one hour a week. And so, but that's not to say that's it's terrible, but I think that he I I think he I I'm guessing based on his reaction that he knows better is the thing. And mm-hmm. he is uh, straying away from his training and potentially not consulting about, I'm guessing he's not consulting about this at all with anybody. And he doesn't feel good enough. And so he's like, I, I need to give her more. I need to give this, I, I, I need, I want to do right by this client and this client wants more of me. And so I'm going to give more of that because I, I feel anxious about being good enough. And so he provides extra time in this very kind of haphazard way in an attempt to soothe his anxiety is, is my guess about being a good enough therapist, you know, because if he came to me and he's like, you know, and I, I'm having this urge, I'd be like, I'd explore this issue with him. And if we determined that he was having this insecurity, I'd be like, you know, you're a good enough therapist anyway. <laughs> like you don't have to, you, 
you know, you're, you're doing good work. You don't have to give more of yourself to this client. It's, it's okay uh, to provide own quote unquote only two sessions a week, you know? So, so over time uh, he's giving more and more of his time, but I'm guessing and total speculation that he started to feel resentful about giving her extra time. Right. Cause he's just like, I- I'm, you know, I'm getting paid for two hours, but some weeks I'm giving her an extra an extra two hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe his spouse is yelling at him about working too much or he feels burnt out or he's not being able to work out at the gym as often as he, you know, like something is he's like uh, some, you know, I, I'm upset that I'm working so much. And then he's like, and I'm pro Barely bono. getting paid. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm giving pro bono hours to this client. And so I think he was starting to have some resentment. Again, total speculation. And so he starts thinking, well, maybe I should just charge for that extra time. But then he also thinks, probably not necessarily um, accurately, he thinks, well, the insurance company might have a problem with that. And you know, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but but anyway, so so he's like, okay, well, crap. And I now the logical answer to that is like we'll stop doing it <laughs> you know what right. i mean like but he's so, but he still feels like he has to give and so on the inside he has this conflict between wanting to save her wanting to be good enough for her and wanting to be compensated for his time and you know being resentful about that and and since he's not likely getting consultation and since he doesn't seem to be contemplating this kind of transference in this way in all likelihood you know, he, he starts to get upset and this emotion uh, pops out as in the Freudian sense by a passive aggression of asking her to get him coffee. Mm-hmm. It, th- this, this immediately makes her feel uncomfortable, which is, of course, exactly what his unconscious wants it to do. He want again, total speculation mm-hmm. here. I'm just I'm taking so you think he, he wants to stop, but he doesn't know how. Well, he's he's ambivalent in the classic Freudian sense. He he's he's he has a dilemma inside of himself of if I act professionally, my anxiety is going to go up about being good enough for this client. If um, but if you know, so he's he's caught in between two things, and he doesn't because he's not contemplating or consulting. It, it's sort of left to rattle around in his unconscious and creates distress, and so it pops out in this half measure, you know, that's, that's where we get defense mechanisms from, right? It's like we, our unconscious wants to do something, but we don't know how, and we're not letting ourselves. And so this defense mechanism kicks in and he figures his, his ego figures out a very subtle way to make her feel hurt, you know, to make her feel. Just to order a latte. (laughs) Yeah. Which, which seems weird, right? Because on the surface you, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, Oh well, that's an obvious way to make someone feel Pick upset. Pick me up a latte. <laughs> right, that you know that's not that's not a you wouldn't that's not a logical way in which you would uh, consciously try to make someone uh, hurt. But the unconscious, because their you know their relationship is strong enough, he knows what to do to make her feel bad, and so he asks her this question. But of course. This is how he's feeling on the inside. He's he's feeling um, uh, he's feeling this anxiety and this dilemma, and he's feeling this 
um, worry about the boundary. And so he, so he is now projected that into her through, you know, projective identification. Is this all, am I speaking too much Freudian stuff right now? Uh, you know, I love this stuff just cause I don't ever get to talk or think like this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the piece about like whose wound is he trying to fix here, um, is probably the key to all this. Right. Right. And so to her, this felt odd and which was, which what, is great, which like, is what, yeah, which is healthy of her. <laughs> and, um, and that's what it was designed to do from his unconscious. It was designed to make her feel this way. Cause he, he subconsciously, you know, resents her and he unconsciously wants to make her feel uneasy. And so, um, so she starts talking with people about it. He, she, she asks me about it over email, and she actually asked another friend of hers who is also a therapist. And both of us advised this patron uh, about the situation, and both agreed that this therapist was crossing a boundary. So she went back to him and health, healthily said, healthfully or healthfully? I never know the difference. There, you know, I am not. In a healthy manner. I, I am not the person to ask <laughs> any kind of verbal word question. <laughs> I have a very limited vocabulary. <laughs> um, so she goes back to him and she, in a healthy manner, says what's on her mind. And since he's a good enough therapist, he sincerely apologizes and vows to work on it. And this is the process of good therapy. Uh, it, just because, you know, when you, the deeper the relationship goes, the more opportunities there are for um, sensitive things to occur. And when clients are given an opportunity to, to open up about that in the face of anxiety about disapproval, healing occurs. Now, we don't know what he's going to do with this or whether, right. you know, whether or not this will provoke him to go to his consultant or supervisor or some, you know, I don't know. I, I hope so. Um, but, but anyway... Um, go ahead. Well, and also I think that there's often this urge with therapists, like, you know, it's just really hard to remember, like the client has to solve this problem. You know, we can do everything that's in our arsenal, but I love the quote about work half as hard as your client. I probably say it every time you have me on. I don't, uh, know, if, I don't know if you've ever said that before. Oh, well, yeah, it was something that a student said to me that her onsite supervisor had said to her which is that as a therapist, you should be working half as hard as your client. And I've always thought that was great advice. Like if you feel like, oh, my God, I'm doing so much heavy lifting for this person, then just stop. Right. And give that work back to the client because that's how they're going to learn that, you know, changes, behavior change is hard. It takes time. You mess up. People get mad at you. You lose friends. You know, it's no... The work we're doing is, is not easy, and it does sometimes take way longer than you could ever imagine. Right. Yeah, I think that's that's really great advice. It's, I think, complicated, though, because there's so many different ways to misinterpret that advice, I think, in terms of, like, working half as hard as your client, hmm. you know, like, um, or, like, not know when to apply it, because... I think a very common scenario for novice therapists, particularly when they're at agencies and they're working with a lot of clients who might not even want to be in therapy, 
you have a lot of therapists who are just like beating their head against the wall, trying to get like a teenager to use therapy well. So when people, you know, novice therapists are working in that situation, they end up amping up their efforts to try to convince a, a client that therapy is worth it. And it, that ends up creating kind of like a weird feedback loop in which the client continues just to dig their heels even further and the therapist blames himself. And, and so the advice is very good in a situation like that. Like, look, you should not be working, you know, nearly that hard, you know, and, and there, this situation might be doomed from the start because the client, uh, even if we want to call it a client, doesn't want to talk to you. And, and so it's a no-go from the beginning to some extent. Um, it, it also is great advice in situations like this, where we have a therapist who is, um, putting in, uh, extending themselves to help a client in a way that is not helping them in the, and not helping the therapeutic relationship in the end, you know, it's like, take, slow down. Uh, it takes time. You don't have to cram five years of therapy into one year, you know, like give it some breathing space and and don't be so frantic and anxious to rush down the road, you know, and and in the process, trample all over your professionalism. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Another question she asks is, is this a test? And I find that to mm -hmm. be a, a common question that I hear from, mm -hmm. from people who email me. They're like, is my therapist testing me? And I just have to say that I've never heard a therapist do that sort of thing. I've never heard a therapist say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this weird thing to test to see if my client has learned how to assert themselves against me or something. I mean, you know, there were strategic therapists, Milton Erickson and these kinds of people who probably would have done stuff like that. But I, I don't hear contemporary therapists do stuff like that. Do you? Yeah, I think that's uh, – no one works like that anymore. Right. And so <laughs> – Because, you know, Mnuchin died today or yeah, yesterday. Yes. And he is famous for that, like, yeah. like the paradox. But it's like no one actually works like that. You know, those are great – concepts in graduate school but yeah i don't yeah. Know that. right exactly they're they're wonderful graduate school topics and they're wonderful <laughs> they're wonderful um provocative uh things to display while you're being videotaped uh you know mnuchin would be videotaped with a family and so he'll pull those things out and blah blah, blah. and so you know yeah i I don't know very many. Now, occasionally I will actually advise supervisees to contemplate what I would call to be like the umbrella of strategic and structural and, you know, Milton Erickson style of therapy. But it's really under extreme duress that we would resort to such things because we're desperate for something to work at that point. And, and all other things are not working is usually... The, the tack that I take with people and still supervisees don't feel comfortable doing it. So the, um, the notion is, is often asked and I just find it interesting because every time I say, I find it extremely unlikely, I, I, I would, I, I would think it's extremely unlikely that your therapist is testing you in this way. They're probably just fucking up, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's much more likely that they're just like not minding the store, you know? Um, and yeah. That being said, like I have a client that I find that I'm very confrontive with just because they have let me know that they really want therapy to work. 
And every time I make a behavior change suggestion, they shoot it down as something that, you know, couldn't possibly work. They couldn't possibly do that. And I'll really confront them on that and say like, oh, well, here we are again. <laughs> you know, like I've said the thing that we know for my work would be helpful. And I'm happy to hear why it's not helpful for you. So like, I think that you're, hopefully your therapist, if your ego strength can tolerate, tolerate it, challenges you. But that's different than like kind of laying a trap. Right. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll say about this is that, uh, I, you know, the tone in which I'm having in reaction to this is, I would, I think a stall is negative, but you know, I've probably done this myself. I, I can't, again, I was making fun of him like coffee. That's weird. But I am a human being and prone to all the countertransferences that anyone else is prone to and have have done equally, if not worse, things to clients as a result of my own countertransferential reactions. And things like uh, that I can think of off the top of my head are are not listening very well or being judgmental (laughs) (laughs) that was a that was a that was a birdo joke right there um yeah so you know stuff like i i've i've done things through projective identification myself to my clients and many of which i probably didn't even notice and so this isn't to say that this therapist is somehow insufficient or something or abnormal um it just means that uh, we're all human and we're all prone to this. If it was a greater transgression, I guess on the scale of transgressions that I get from patrons who email me about their about their therapists, I would give this like a two out of ten because mm-hmm. I I have heard people ha- uh, uh, sexually abusing, raping their clients. I I, I we're we're gonna do an episode on that soon. Um, or maybe it's it'll already have come out by the time this one is published. But it's it's about a, a therapist who literally raped uh, his client, and then the client emailed me about it. Oof. And uh, it's it's and I actually just say I'm so thankful that you didn't spring that one on me. Like I think it would be no. I'm gonna really I'm gonna, hurt. Yeah, I'm gonna talk with Berto about that one because uh, I also want to talk about like just, I don't know, just related topics to that. But the, so that's a 10 or an 11, obviously. And then we've heard, we've talked on this podcast about other cases in which the therapist was very sexually exploitative, but not, um, you know, they didn't quote unquote have sex, but he was very manipulative of the client to, um, to be with them and, you know, just things like that, which I would give like, I don't know, a nine or an eight or something. So asking your, asking the client to bring a cup of coffee is far from that. Um, uh, and you know, he apologized, which, you know, I, I commend him for, but if I could talk with, if I, if I could ask him one question, I would be like, are you contemplating consulting about this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have a feeling this isn't, uh, an isolated issue for him. Right. What if it's not, I mean, what if he, this is a common pattern that repeats over and over, you know, like, is there, does he let himself have one a year, one special client a year that makes the work doable for him or, you know, like what's going on here? Right. <laughs> what's getting played out. Um, right. And where's his self care? Because it, it, he needs to get paid for his work 
and right. he needs to protect his his social life and his personal life. So, um, you know, I'm, I just want to know how he's doing with all that stuff. So write us and let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, well, the funny recommendation would be patron have your therapist listen to this episode in which I, oh. in which we proceed to. Which you scramble your <laughs> life's work <laughs> yeah. on the radio. Yeah. We don't know you, but. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, he can obviously um, email me some terrible uh, response, I suppose. I don't know. Um, and therapists out there who have had similar things, let us know your own issues or other clients. Can I tell a quick story about this? Because I've been a clinician where this stuff happened a lot. Yeah, let's take uh, a break first, and okay. then and then I want to hear about it. All right. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so now. Go to patreon.com. When you become a patron of the podcast, you get access to all of our deep dive episodes, of which there are hundreds. And you also will not have to listen to the majority of advertisements. So, Rebecca, what's the story that's related to this? So, when I worked in the South Bronx, um, there was a lot going on in terms of not-so-great ethics of people. Um, and so, we had one therapist who every day – and these are really low-functioning clients. Like These are clients that will probably be in the system their entire lives – and every day she would send this one client out to get lunch for her. And, um, you know, she would give him her money and tell him the order and send him out and he would bring it back to her. Um, and her idea was it really built his self-esteem to have something to do. Um, but I, as a young therapist, was just horrified. <laughs> like you're sending, you know, does he also take in your dry cleaning? Like what else happens? But I think at some of these agencies where people are kind of pushed to the limits um, and where you see these clients maybe more than you see your own family you know if you're working 40 hours a week at this place like the boundaries definitely were blurred there were there other kinds of situations there were some wacky so once a month there would be a field trip and if the clients had, you know, been working the program, they would get a chance to sign up to the field trip. And there was like a Sizzlers type buffet restaurant that we would go to. And one time my supervisor was the like extra chaperone for this. And instead of doing the buffet, she ordered a really expensive meal for herself and ate it in front of the clients. And she was this, it was this whole thing about like, I work so hard and I deserve this and I was just shocked. Like, you know, you're doing this in front of the clients. Like, this is supposed to be a treat for them. And you're just rubbing it in their faces that you have access to more than they do. Um, so, yeah, there was constantly weird stuff going on. Was it based on just mistakes that were made or a culture? Or was it that it was a general belief system that was unaware or unreflective or what, what, what was the cause of all this? Oh God, I think it was burnout. Um, I think it was also that people had been in these jobs for so long. Like many people had been in these jobs like 20 years, um, that they just kind of forgot like what they were supposed to be doing. I mean, that's the only way I can explain it. Um, 
Yeah, then, I mean, just to comment on that, whenever I hear these stories and get enough detail, that is often a factor, is the person who is committing the boundary violation or some other unethical behavior has been slowly drifting away from, shall we say, the professional core, um, I don't know, education, supervision, consultation zone. You know, they they no longer consult or they only consult with other unaware people <laughs> or or they don't even consider themselves to be professionals anymore. They uh, have like they've been working in an agency where they're work side by side with social workers and case managers and chemical dependency people and office workers and they don't they don't identify as I am a clinician, I'm a psychotherapist, I'm a licensed you know professional who has to follow a certain set of professional guidelines that because because not to demean caseworkers and stuff, but they aren't typically licensed and they don't typically follow a professional code or at least it's not as robust or as like limiting as psychotherapy professional codes. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, the boundaries, if you just work this really intense job all the time and the and then you find a way to survive at that really intense job, you know, it's not really about kind of and you're working with clients that quote, like never get better. And the clients are there day after day after day. You know, everything just kind of erodes into bleh. Right, right. And right, it's, I guess, a slippery slope that happens too. And I, I would, well, tell me if this was also an element of like us versus them where the therapists feel like it's us and the clients are the them. Right, and management is the... The other them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you end up just kind of uh, being an echo chamber at work about whatever is ailing the group and then there's an erosion of the professionalism and of the duty, you know, of, of what this job calls for uh, that I see sometimes. You know, it's sort of like, I mean, in my head, it kind of progresses like this. It's like you're at, an, you're at an agency setting and you're stressed out and you're overworked and you're burnt out or at least a percentage of the, you know, therapists are. And you're at a case consultation meeting and one person spends like uh, one person's particularly vocal about their negative uh, attitudes about everything. And they talk about like, oh, I have this, you know, I, you know, I talked to that borderline client again and she was, you know, driving me nuts. You know, you know, the, that crazy borderline I talk about all the time, you know, like, oh, God, you know, it's. She came in yesterday, you know, this sort of, and I'm not even joking with, I'm not even exaggerating with that no. tone, you know? No. And, and then it kind of silences, I've been in that situation where as someone who's like, let's keep it professional, I feel silenced by that attitudinal uh, wave uh, that a few people kind of propagate and because I'm not in power in some of those situations and then that kind of infiltrates everyone's attitude because then you kind of expect like, well, okay, 
case consultation meetings, staff meetings are a time for us to laugh at clients. That's what we do. That's the rules of this engagement is you walk into the room, you close the door, and then we proceed to laugh at our clients and make fun of them and, and, and vent, you know, and that's all that we do. We don't talk about professionalism. We don't talk about what to do better. We don't take responsibility. And then that sort of leads to just a, a general straying away from, your core principles. And then before long, you're eating an expensive meal in front of uh, clients who could never afford such a thing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of like, I mean, her statement to the group, I don't know. I'm sorry if I already said this, but I remember her saying like, I deserve this. I work so hard. And yeah, which like, is Whoa. great. Well, which is great, you know, but not in this context, you know. Right. <laughs> you want to yeah. come back tomorrow and do this? Great, you know. Right. But not right. not bring yourself to Sizzlers, like not Yeah. Not in front of the clients. Right. Yeah. Right. So was that a passive aggression that she had been building up toward clients? You know. Right. What, I'll what, show you what I have or I'll show you kind of what I've you've taken from me. Yeah. You know. Right. Yeah. Oh, the whole thing was so weird. Yeah, interesting. All, all playing out at a Sizzlers in the South Bronx. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I've heard stories along these lines before. Uh, nothing's coming to mind, but I'm sure I've I've heard some stories of, like, people doing things like this. Oh, well, I had a supervisee once who did a lot of this sort of stuff. They want they had a lot of they just had a general attitude or approach to therapy as being a very casual affair and i was continually trying to get them to stop and to understand especially when they're under my supervision you know it's like i kept telling them like once you're done with me as a supervisor you don't have to listen to me anymore <laughs> and you can risk your own license however much you want but while you're under my supervision you're going to follow the standard of care and eventually i had to fire them because mm -hmm. they kept at it and i eventually um, and may or may not have reported them uh, so, so yeah, that, that's the other thing to think about. I think I, that I think you were getting at earlier, which is, uh, as is often the case, whenever I hear from listeners regarding therapists like this is these incidents are usually the tip of the iceberg. It's, it's right. not, it's not normal. It's very common. It's a very common story that when you start looking into these things, you find multiple issues that, um, are related to the one that we observe. Uh -huh. Having said that again, this guy's a two out of 10. So maybe there's like five other twos out of tens. We're not talking about like he's sexually assaulting people or, you know, or even being sexually exploitative of people. But my guess is, is there's some other issues that he's suffering from. And it's pretty clear that she's benefiting from the therapy with him, which I commend him for. What's yes. the final? What's the final word? Uh, what's the final word? Word up. Um, the final word. You know, if your client is not there to do favors for you, <laughs> so if the work is getting to the place where you need them to do favors for you, what's going on? Right. What's going on? Yeah. Right. 
Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself because why? Why should they take care of themselves, Rebecca? Because it's a Audrey Lord would want them to. Who's Audrey Lord? Audrey Lord is the black lesbian feminist poet. We talked about the most radical act you can do is an act of self-love. Oh man, nice pull. Thank Wait, you. did you research that before we started talking? That, no, that's like, doesn't that pop up in your Facebook feed at least once a day? Um, I think I'm on a different feed than you. <laughs> right. It's often, it shows up probably once a week in my Facebook feed is that quote from Audre Lorde about self-love. Mm-hmm.